0: It happens. That was definitely all the time. Am I I still echoing for you, though? I can
1: hear you guys and and everything, so. Am I still echoing for you? Yeah, you're echoing. Oh, what the fuck? Well, I can live with it. it. It's no big deal.
2: You're superfluous, man.
0: (laughs) If anything, (laughs) go to Jack on Discord and just mute Jack on Discord.
2: That sounds personal. Yeah, Jack, it do not say anything. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, he should he should be alright, actually, because I just did a whole—I just did a server mute for everyone, so it should be
0: alright. Oh, perfect.
2: Well, then, okay. on that note, you are listening to the Micro Machines podcast, and this week we have a special guest. Shall we do some introductions?
3: We shall. I think so. So, according to the comprehensive list that we did. I am first, so you have me, Callum, coming all the way from New Zealand, and my drink of choice tonight, I am on, I'm drinking a really pre-mixed vodka drink, uh, only 2% sugar, so I don't feel so bad drinking it, and it's passion fruit <laughs> and grana flavoured. Passion uh,
2: fruit and grana. Yeah, it's
3: damn good. 6% as well. 6% Fruity. I haven't had
0: lunch, so this ought to be good. Oh, <laughs> heavens. Well, you've got me Garrison out in Kansas drinking a coffee because I'm a real man, Callum, uh, with a little bit of Canadian club. So we got uh, Jack here from the Great White North. Uh, I've got some old water, but water's water, so it'll go down oh, fine. God.
2: <laughs> and you got me, Dennis, from right below Jack, and I am drinking some cold Tim Hortons coffee. And nice tonight. We are so honored to have a special guest. Special guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, really?
1: Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my name is Jeff Hearn. I'm the owner of Scale Colors SC3E uh, printed track sets. And um, my drink for this evening is uh, a tall glass of Balvenie Doublewood 12 uh, year. That right there it it sound sounds fancy. Good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of the it's out of the celebrity uh the celebrity bottle. So Oh man. It was, um it was given to me a long time ago. Oh god, going back to uh the early two thousands. It was given to me by a friend of mine. And um uh, so it only comes out on special occasions and you have to sign the bottle uh the the, the container that the bottle came in. So got some Ooh. pretty got some pretty heavy names on that. But, uh Pretty heavy names on that container because I bring it with me to the nationals and various places that I that I travel to. So, oh, right on. So, well thanks then. for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate the invite. Happy to have you.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, Garrison, why don't you explain to the audience what we're going to be doing tonight?
0: Uh, well, today we're going to be doing a interview podcast. Uh, this is something a little different than what we normally do. Uh, we got ten questions for Jeff. Uh, handpicked by the crew members, uh, looking to get about a solid hour and a half of just having Jeff talk his talk his yaps off. So, Be careful what you wish for. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Garrison, why don't you? Uh, shall we say why we have Jeff on?
0: Uh, that's uh, part of the last question. We'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Going mm-hmm. suspense. Nice. Taste <laughs> nice music. Foreshadowing.
3: Well done. <laughs> Well, you know, us, we keep everyone in suspense. As the
1: oh. Belvini kicks in, it'll probably get blurted out about halfway through anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is totally fine. <laughs>
2: well, then, shall we go to question number one? Send question it.
0: number one. Nope, oh, too it. bad. All right. Who are you, Jeff? Go ahead and tell us about yourself.
1: Uh, who am I? Um, well, how far back do you want to go? You know, because... Um, well, i guess you don't need all those details as far um, back as you need <laughs> as far back as i need love. it all started back in september of 1967 when my dad was on leave in tokyo uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go the actually the, a gritty. Let's exactly. it. it's actually the truth but <laughs> no i was um i uh I, i'm an army brat and um i was Born and raised in uh, upstate New York on an Indian reservation right on the U.S.-Canadian border, so um, I hold dual citizenship, um, U.S. and Canadian. Um, I left the reservation at a at a young age because I kind of knew that it it wasn't going to be the the sort of lifestyle that I wanted to live, and uh, bounced around a little bit, failed out of college, joined the army, um, ran around with them for for quite a while, and then. Um, Met this girl and got married and got, uh, you know, a thousand and one different things. Um, decided a few years ago, I had been in a pretty bad car accident and um, decided that I had worked for other people long enough and it was time to work for myself. And, and part of it was the fact that, you know, I couldn't I couldn't string together 40 hours a week of quality time for myself. How the hell was I going to, you know, give 40 hours a week to a, a, uh, you know, an employer and who the hell works 40 hours a week anymore. So I decided that I was going to start my own business and, um, and that's what I did. And here I am. Right on. Sweet. No, yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, if I had known now, uh, you know, if I had known then what I know now, I never would Oh, never would have done it. The The amount of work and, and the amount of time and effort that you put into something just to call it your own um, doesn't come without its costs, you know, um, and, and it can be any number of different things. You know, it seems like you've never got enough money to do the things you want to do and, you know, time with your family and, you know, walking the dog and, you know, getting things done just never seems to be enough hours in the day to get all the things done that you need to get done but that's that's a bit of of a it's a bit of a unique perspective there it is you know i love what i do um i've been involved there have been three things in my life i think from from like the very beginning that have been constants for me um you know my my hobbies I, i i'm a musician and and a modeler um, and, and those are two things that I have been doing um, all the way through my my 55 years of life. Um, and the other thing that has been a constant for me is has been you know the fact that for 33 years my wife hasn't killed me in my sleep. So I guess I'm doing something right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but everything else is is kind of just a you know it's just a compromise and you You put a lot of work into something like this and and you don't really know what you're getting out of it in the end, you know
0: that's understandable and it's it's nice to see somebody with a perspective like that instead of the the uh the classic oh you know i I make boukoots of money and i'm i never work and da 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 da, da. Uh, yeah.
1: you know the only good things. That, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, yeah, I'm complaining and whining a little bit. I mean, I, I love the fact that, that I'm still involved in the hobby and that I'm creating products that modelers are using and having success with. And that it's, that's kind of how I, I justify my relevance, you know, or, or remaining relevant in the hobby. Um, but there are some perks, you know, that don't necessarily involve money. And one of them is that, you know, I can go to work any day that I want to go to work. I can take any day off that I want to take off. Um, I got to make those hours up somewhere. But if if I don't want to do orders at, you know, 9 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, I don't. I got to make it up Mm -hmm. on a Sunday night or a Saturday night or something like that. But and the other part is that I'm home. I'm with my family. um, I can crank the music up to 11 and go to work and sweats in a T-shirt. And, you know, I'm I answer to nobody uh, except the dog. And I get fired every day. I call my boss an asshole every day. He fires me. I go to lunch and then I come back and, you know, I get rehired. So <laughs> <laughs> being self-employed does, does have its perks, you know? Um, but it does, it has it also has its costs. You know, it's a, it's a balancing act. Do you find yourself being like finding it hard to maintain that work-life balance since you're self-employed? Absolutely. Um, and and I and I think that I think part of it is just being slogged through, um, and and it, and it comes from a bunch of different perspectives. I never anticipated that scale colors, and then later on the the three D printed tracks. I, I never anticipated they were going to be as successful as they have been. Um, you know, when I when I first got this idea. Uh, a friend of mine actually talked me into it and he said, ah, look at it this way. You know, the the money you make be good money on the side. It'll be your hobby money. It'll be your model money. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I went from a, I went from a model money budget to, you know, a company budget in, in a little under four years. And I'm still a one man operation. And I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that gray area where I don't, I don't have enough revenue coming in that I can go full full on legit with a factory and, and hire employees and, you know, have a company jet. Um but I, I'm also, you know, at that point where I've got way too much work for one man. You know? Um so there's gotta be a balance there and I, I quite I haven't quite figured it out yet. I'm not really sure how it's all gonna go. Um but it's gotta go somewhere. <laughs> At some point, because uh, it's, uh, it's taken its toll. You know, you work 18, 20 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, there's a lot of behind the scenes that people don't know about. You know, they think that this stuff just magically appears. Nice. Not really, but... You know. <laughs> Not, really. <laughs> it, it, Not really.
0: It's a brutally honest perspective. And I think that's something a lot of people are going to appreciate. Yeah, it and is. Yeah, and, you know...
1: and that's. I think that's part of it, is that there's this... in There's this perception that, you know, when they see my logo and they, they get a package of tracks in the mail or their paint shows up or whatever, they think that it's coming from some big warehouse somewhere and, you know, and there's workers that are filling these boxes. No, every, every set of tracks that you get has been taken off the printer, well, designed and, and built and printed, taken off the printer, cleaned, packaged, and put in the little boxes by one set of hands. Um, the same thing with every bottle of paint that you get, every single bottle of paint is hand poured by me. Um, and, and people kind of lose sight of that because we, we live in this, this world where everybody wants everything, you know, like Amazon prime, you know, they, they order it and they expect it to be in on their doorstep the next day. And, um, when we first started out, you know, when I had, and I was selling 50 bottles of paint a week, <laughs> you you could do that, you know, and it was fun. Because you could sit for a couple hours and bottle up 50 bottles of paint and it was no big deal. But now when you're pushing, you know, 1,000, 1,500 bottles of paint a week out the door and, you know, 75, 80, 90 sets of tracks, um, that's a lot of time. There's there's a lot of behind the scenes that goes into it. I'm just imagining the amount of work that goes into bottling 1,500 bottles of paint. Yeah, that's insane. My God, man. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, the good part is is I, I, I mix stuff depending on how popular the color is. You know, if I'm doing U.S. Army olive drab, um, I'll bottle that a gallon at a time. I'll I'll I'll, I'll mix that up a base material. I will mix it up a gallon at a time, um, and then I will fill, you know, however many one ounce bottles I can yield out of that. Um, the colors that are not so popular, I typically do those a quarter at a time. Um, but once you get going, once you get into a system, um, it goes pretty quickly. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not earth shattering. Um, but I, my next, I think my next major company purchase is going to be a bottling machine, something where I can just load it up like an ammo drum and press the button and it just fills them. And then all I've got to do is put the lid on them and throw them in a bin when I'm done. That'll oh, be well, that's there the, go. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's my dream. <laughs> that that would be nice do 50 bottles in in like you know 10 minutes instead of you know 50 bottles in an hour and a half so it's all about efficiency you know but everything comes with a price you know i looked i had this bright idea that i was going to do that right from the beginning with the paint till i learned that a bottling machine was going to cost me like $25,000 twenty five thousand oh, dollars oh my oh. god <laughs> I you don't like you for holding off you know, <laughs> yeah. I, think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna wait on that I'll keep using the ketchup bottles <laughs> don't <laughs> laugh man that's what I use I use diner ketchup bottles <laughs> man. hey, hey, if, hey it's if it stupid, works it yeah, works Yep. Yeah. Diner, don't get diner ketchup Yep.
2: don't get them mixed <laughs> up <laughs> oh, oh I, I love it when I've got this nice plate of fries in front of me
1: I accidentally squirt like US Navy grey onto it <laughs> okay funny story here i I got a i got a a facebook messenger call from somebody and i I don't even remember who it was and i was i was eating lunch and i was packaging tracks or something at the same time i think it was maybe it was paint anyway they they call me and i'm on the video and i'm talking to him and i'm not thinking and I poured alcohol all over my all over my chicken nuggets. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. And then, oh And then imagine the horror on the guy's face when I looked at it and went, eh, "Well, what the hell?" And I ate them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, hell, you know, you know, one way or the other, I'm going to end up with the with the alcohol in my system, either inhaling it or ingesting it. So,
0: fuck it, might as well. Exactly. <laughs> Full exactly. <cent.
1: laughs> oh. Uh
3: Well, shall we go on to the uh, next question? Yeah. Can I ask it? I'll ask it. Go for it. No. <laughs> so, Jeff, <laughs> uh, just what is Scale Colors, and how did it come about? How did you uh, decide you're going to do this?
1: Um, it was kind of a perfect storm of opportunity And, and yeah, dun, 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 cue the dramatic music. And, um, what ended up happening was, um, my wife of, of 32 years is an asthmatic and I can't, it's gotten to the point where I can't even spray Tamiya paint, um, in the shop and, and she smells it and she vapor locks and she has a reaction to it. So. I've always kind of been looking for an alternative, um, something that would be good enough for me to use on the stuff that I was building um, and yet compete in the marketplace. And I, I had thought about it for quite some time, never really done anything about it. And then I got a commission piece that I had to do. I had to do a 200 scale Iowa class battleship. And it was right around the time that testers went out of business and you couldn't find any of their Navy colors anymore. And um and my only option was to go to um Life Color out of Italy and they make these little, you know, Vallejo sized bottles. I said, How in the hell am I gonna paint a two hundred scale battleship with Vallejo bottles? Um so a buddy of mine said, Well, mix your own. Okay. So one thing led to another and I started messing around and and doing some formulations and wasn't having very, very much success with it. So I jokingly put it up on Facebook one day. I said, any of my modeling buddies, paint chemists and, you know, and like with all social media, you know, most of your friends are idiots and they, they make stupid comments and, you know, no, but I stayed in a, you know, holiday Inn one night or some crap like that. (laughs) So it it really just kind of took the, you know, you put something out there like that, you know, and, and you'd expect that, there'd be a modicum of civility, but no, my friends are all merciless and they were, they were just hammering on me. So I just kind of let the idea die. I didn't think anything of it. And then about three weeks later, I get a message from this guy and he's like, yeah, I worked for PPG for 30 years. What do you need? I was like, holy hell. So I gave him a laundry list. I said, you know, I I want this paint to be, I want it to be non-toxic. I want it to be airbrush ready. I want it to be able to be com- tinted with commercially available, you know, tinting materials um, that are that are constant and consistent. And, you know, I wanted to be water based and I wanted to I, I gave him a laundry list of about ten different things. <laughs> he just looked at me and he goes, if you get three, you'll be lucky. And I said, okay, well these are the three that I need. And uh, we started doing formulations and testing and we looked at commercially available um, acrylic polymer compounds, you know, that's the stuff that is the carrier for the paint and, uh, the glue, so to speak. And we couldn't really find anything. So we ended up developing our own and that's the beauty of having a guy who knows chemistry and, uh, lo and behold, we have a proprietary base material and, uh, we got of the list of 10 things that we had on, I think we got about eight or eight or nine of them, um, And once I started spraying the stuff, my wife stopped complaining about, you know, vapor locking and, and the asthma and whatnot. And she can actually come downstairs in the shop while I'm spraying. I mean, it could be a green mushroom cloud and, and the smell of the paint doesn't, doesn't bother her because there's no smell. So that kind of really, initially it was just, I developed the stuff for my own use. And then I saw an opportunity, especially with the Navy colors because I'm actually a naval historian by trade. And there was a need for the naval colors because everybody else that's been doing naval colors has never really gotten them right, with the exception of uh, White Ensign out of the UK. Um, No one's really gotten the World War II colors correct. So I I launched with about 12, I think, colors. Uh, And that's going on four and a half years ago. And as of today, we have a hundred and fifty different colors. I say we, me and the dog. I have a hundred and fifty different colors in production right now.
0: Man, hot damn, dude!
2: My man single-handedly outmaneuvered like every other paint company. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Straight
1: up, it wow. wasn't my goal. You know, I, I, and I said that early on. I didn't want to be the next Vallejo. I didn't want to be the next testers. I, I just i wanted to fill a a void in the market um specifically with ship modelers and and i did that for the better part of a year or so year and a half i just did ship colors and guys were happy and i wasn't getting any complaints and then guys inevitably because that's what modelers do not you know we we build everything so i had another guy say to me uh you know hey I, i bought all your ship colors could you do these armor colors for me i'd be really interested in your armor so all right let me mix them up so i mixed up armor colors the next thing you know I'm selling armor colors so that's how it all kind of came about and um again it was one of those things it was it was not supposed to be it's morphed into so much more than i anticipated that it would be um, it was supposed to be just this little side gig that you know uh prevented me from taking my my model money out of the family budget you know uh it was supposed to just kind of fund my hobby and well my other hobbies too which are guitars and and cars and you know stuff like that but it was supposed to be fun money and now all of a sudden it's like you know helping put my daughter through grad school and a bunch of other stuff so I still don't have a corporate jet though uh, got to work on that there. There. yeah let yeah. one
0: uh, one milestone at a time
1: yeah, exactly. Well, my biggest hurdle right now is just staying alive long enough to to get all of this shit done. So why don't you tell us about the
2: uh, SC3D side of the thing. So you started off with scale colors, doing the paint. And then what got you into the doing, you know, of all things, 3D printed tank tracks? Trumpeter.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <No. laughs> oh, cue the, cue the, 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 the eerie uh, horror movie uh, soundtrack. <laughs> I have, um... I have sitting up on the shelf a, uh a Tamiya Geschützwagen, the 17 centimeter, you know, that, that big self-propelled gun that only made it to the prototype stage. And oh yeah. Tamiya, Tamiya did one or Tamiya Trumpeter did one as a, uh, they did the, the 17 centimeter and then they did the short barrel mortar version, whatever they want to call it. And, um, I thought it was just cool as hell. So I, I, I picked one up and I, I'm going through the building phase and they, and they give you these, these horrible rubber band tracks. In fact, I think they're, I, I actually keep them floating around the shop just as a reminder of why I'm doing all of this. This is, I, I look at those tracks and I'm like, yes, that's, that's why I do what I do because they suck so bad. Um <laughs> And and I put the tracks on, and and you know, the the, the tracks are you know supposed to be hundred and something links, a hundred and two links, and the pl- the rubber tracks. You know, I needed a hundred and ten, and they just didn't fit, and I broke off the drive sprocket. I was just I was raging mad. So then I screwed up even further, and decided I'm going to um, use the Tamiya Lincoln length, or not the 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 those glueable individual link tracks for the King Tiger. I said, oh, those will work. Yeah, and that turned into even a bigger nightmare. And finally, I'm sitting there one day and I went, holy shit, I have a 3D printer sitting on a shelf. And it never even occurred to me to do tank tracks. I had been doing ship parts um, for a commission model that I've been working on. And, and all of a sudden I just said, well, hell, if I can design 3D anti-aircraft guns for ship models I can design a set of tracks for this piece of shit so that's exactly what I did and they came out looking spectacularly um, and the next thing I know my friends are like oh you should do can you do a set of this for me can you do a set of no, no, no. and then the next thing you know I'm I'm doing track sets <laughs> I don't know I've got like 30 thirty-four or thirty-five track sets and it's only been a year. Fuck. Um. <laughs> yeah, I have no life, guys. I, I have no life. <laughs> I have no life. But uh, <laughs> you know, p- part of it was was Will's decision to sell direct and and their stuff became a lot more difficult to to obtain. And when I started this, there were no other companies doing it. You know, and and again, hindsight's 2020. 20. Had I known that all of these other companies were going to pop up within months of me starting, uh, T-Rex especially. I mean, he's the he's the 800 pound gorilla in the room when it comes to 3D printed tracks. Uh, had I known that all these guys were going to jump in, um, I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have just stuck with with ship parts, uh, warship parts, and fittings. But um, but here I am, and uh, you know, you guys are you guys have been involved in, in the the design of, uh, of my latest set of tracks just from the feedback and, you know, stuff that I've been getting from you guys. So you've had a first hand opportunity to see what actually goes into it. Foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is pretty great to see
3: like how you design them and the process that goes into it. You know, it's, uh, it's quite enlightening on how much work actually goes through, you know, everyone kind of just goes, Oh, you know, why don't you just, just do this. And I, between you and me, I hate it when people just say, Oh, just do.
1: Cause just, yeah. no
3: one really, yeah, that kind of just like minimalizes just the, how much work and effort it takes to do stuff. So, you know, you know, it's good to see, you know, from start to finish, just how long it takes, what goes into it, all the testing prototypes,
1: all of that. it's, uh, it's quite um, enlightening to watch. People think that you're an elf in a hollow tree making shit, you know, and 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 nothing is further from the truth. There's, Wait, you there's... don't have pointy ears? <laughs> well, <laughs> I got a pointy head, but I don't have pointy ears. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, you know, and 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 let's be honest there are there are a lot of different ways that 3D designers go about creating something, and. Don't think for a second that it's you know this altruistic you know Bob Ross kind of mentality that guys have it, there, There's three ways that you can you can come up with an end product. You can 3D scan a an a, an existing piece of equipment, say a track link, um, which is what I did for this latest track link, I don't know if you guys want to announce it or not, it's up to you, but this latest track link that we're track set that I'm working on, I scanned an original one-to-one scale track link. I 3D scanned it, then I ran it into Fusion and cleaned it all up and turned it into a working miniature. That's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is to either 3D scan or take measurements off an existing kit part and basically replicate Um, a track link from a kit. Uh, I've done that a few times, taken link in length or taken rubber band tracks and and dissected them, cut it into a single link, and then use the measurements from that to actually create another link. And then you turn that into a solid object and and you make it functional. Um, And then the third way is to build something literally from scratch i call it the lego method because you're literally putting blocks and you know you're you're working with basic shapes and molding them into um, the shape of a of a track link or or whatever it is that you're building Um, and that requires a lot of you know you got to have your research material and you got to have line drawings and and stuff like that so that's um that's kind of the third way of doing it but, yeah, people think that, you know, you just automatically press a button and out comes a set of tracks. And there's just, like everything else, there's just so much more to it behind the scenes. And uh, and I'm still learning. I mean, I knew absolutely nothing about this stuff a year and a half ago. Absolutely nothing. And I had that same mindset that, well, hell, I'm just going to buy a 3D printer and just, you know, make everything from here on out. No. No. No, that was a baseball bat to the head.
0: Ding dong, reality check.
1: Yep, exactly. And it was a brutal one because I like to think that I'm a pretty smart guy and I realized how stupid I actually was when it came to this shit.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. I'm glad, you know, respectively, I'm glad you're the one making all the mess-ups for us because I I would have probably just quit by now.
1: (laughs) I get that so much with with guys. Um, I get a lot of guys that, that want access to my to my files and things like that you know hey dude you know can uh, can i can i have your files for your tiger tracks because you know i i want to i want to print my own tiger tracks and i'm like well either buy a set from me or design your own or go on cults 3d and download somebody else's you know tiger tracks that you're gonna you're gonna buy them you're gonna pay for them uh, because, hey, you know, this is kind of my, my livelihood here. And if I give you a set of tracks, if I give you the files, you're never, ever, ever going to buy another set of tracks, Tiger Tracks, for me ever again. Because you have the ability to print as many as you want. And and people don't, people lose sight of that because it's a hobby for them. They have a hard time rationalizing that it's actually a livelihood for someone else. That's, that's how I make my living. It's how I pay my mortgage and buy groceries. I do that by creating products for the hobby
0: well i tell you what you've got to be doing somewhat good with this inflation going on oh, it's killing me Everyone's supposed sorry, to laugh that
1: yeah that was a that was a belvaney moment right there <laughs> <laughs> oh single Fuckers malt scotch laughed. single malt <laughs> scotch went <laughs> up my nose i can't laugh garrison my, my
2: my discounts are going down
1: <laughs> no the uh, part of it is um it, you know when the the general response, and again, I'm I'm going to preface this by saying I don't know shit about how to run a business. You know, my my premise is that you know your um, your income has to exceed your expenses, and if if that happens, you're doing okay. Um, the The problem that I have is that yeah, in, inflation is is kicking everybody's ass, but people have less discretionary income. They 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 don't have. A lot more. They got a lot less model money than they've had in the past, um, so they're not spending <laughs> gobs of money on on tracks and paint and things like that. They're they're kind of rationing their their budget. Uh, a lot of manufacturers will simply raise the prices to offset. And um, I tend to want to double down. That's why I'm I'm going after volume. You know, I'll, I'm I haven't raised prices um, in five years. My my Holy my initial shit. my initial price when I when I started the paint was four ninety nine a bottle five years ago. It's still four ninety nine a bottle now for an ounce of paint. Um, and when you look at, you know, going going back to the old days, I mean, even an old bottle of like Floquil, you know, you're looking at five or six bucks for a one ounce bottle of of Floquil paint. And, and that was a point where I, you know, okay, I'm making decent money on it, and I'm not gouging the customer, and hopefully he thinks he's getting a value, and it's the fact that it's affordable will maybe, you know, draw him in my direction. Um, but again, if, if you only have just so much money in the budget, and you have to decide, you know, whether you're going to buy groceries or buy a set of tracks for your tank, you know, that's a pretty obvious choice. So what I yeah, do is yeah, I try to make tracks. more stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Problem solved. Boom, bada, bing. (laughs) Order now. Operators are standing by. But um, (laughs) I've I've tried, what I've tried to do is actually double down and take a different approach in that if I've only got 12 bottles of paint, uh, then I know that X number of people are going to buy one of those 12 colors. So rather than increasing the price to make more money, I have more SKUs. I have more colors to appeal to a wider audience. Um, and that's why you see scale colors branching off into armor and aircraft colors. Um, that's why I, I launched the, um, the track line. The track line was supposed to be something to just make up for that, that dip in sales um, from the paint. Because, it, I, I mean, if you put a calendar in front of me, I can tell you, you know, almost to the, to the dollar where those numbers are going to be month to month you know um i don't sell i sell practically nothing in january um i sell practically nothing in december um but and then i sell you know i have a huge spike in august cuz that takes me to the ipms national convention and you know i have a i have tables at the show there and then then you get the aftermath of people you know ordering and and after seeing me at a show so I've kind of got it all mapped out and I thought that the tracks would be a really good kind of filler to kind of level everything out. Well, you know, the tracks are now doing three times what the paints doing and I have no idea where the hell they're going um in terms of numbers. Um but I'm I can only, you know, I got eight printers running 24/7 and I can't keep up. That's pretty nuts
3: you got eight of them going at all at once. That's uh yeah. That's pretty cool
1: <laughs> yeah and and i I sent you guys the the photo of of my my actual print shop there and you know these are not you know these are not small printers these are I've got some I've got big ones that are running you know all the time and then and then uh, I've got some of the other printers that are set up for other things like track pins um, I have one printer every printer has a personality and I, I have one printer that if I If I tell it to print track links, it screws it up and there's failures. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't like it. If I tell it to print track pins, it'll print track pins all day long. Perfect print. Never have any problems. So that one printer, all I do is print track pins on it. And it doesn't see anything else. Can't figure it out. Don't understand why. You know, because all of my printers are... I have I have two different brands of printers and they all do the same thing. They're all identical, but you know I guess it's a uh, I guess they have personalities of their own. Black magic, yeah, some sort of voodoo. Maybe I should start mixing Belvani in with the resin. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good waste of scotch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so. I guess one thing I want to briefly touch on is, you know, from the standpoint of, say, making your paint. So what does that process look like? Um,
0: without I mean, giving away your yeah, secrets. Yeah, without divulging the industry' secrets, yeah. Without giving away... I Unless was gonna, you feel like you can.
1: <laughs> I was going to try to come up with some witty analogy of what my paint shop is like, and I was going to say it's probably like a sinking Chinese submarine. <laughs> um, and that's probably a, <laughs> probably a really good analogy, but... Um, i order my base materials um in in bulk Uh, so so those come in either one gallon five gallon or five gallon one gallon or one quart containers depending upon what type of base material that i'm actually using Um, because specific colors use different pre-tinted base materials Um, so all of that kind of predicates what colors I have to produce and 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 that's all based on need and demand and whatnot so the the base material comes in, and then depending on what color I need um, that gets tinted um using you know a, a a basically a standard paint shop tinting material system um, like you would find in any uh home improvement store you know like a lowe's or a Menards or. You know, Sherwin Williams store or something like that, where they they have vats of each of the different color pigments, and the computer color matches it, and and I mix it based on the volume. Um, from there, that base material is then reduced. Um, that's all proprietary as well, um, and then it gets the viscosity of the paint gets lowered. It gets put into a a a well, I use basically like these, uh, they're kind of like, uh, those plastic orange juice containers. I want to say it's a, it's like a glorified milk carton, but, um, it, it's basically a glorified milk carton. And, um, from there it gets put into a, uh, a, a diner spaghetti or spaghetti. Jesus Christ. The Balvenie's kicking in, um, ketchup <laughs> bottle, you know, like the, the squirt bottles you use for, for ketchup and mustard. And that's what I actually use to fill the one ounce bottles of paint. <laughs> Spaghetti. Where the hell? <laughs> hey, it happens. Oh, you should have told me not to drink. <laughs> um, now this makes it even better. <laughs> so from there, um, you know, I'll, I'll pour a whole, ba- a whole bunch of paint, uh, in, in batches for a specific color. They get tossed into a bin. Obviously they get capped. And, um, then I print the labels uh, and I, I literally use standard printer labels uh, envelope labels. And, and I've had people kind of complain about that, you know, cause the label's not shiny and flashy and metallic. And I said, well, you know, when you finish using the paint bottle, what do you, what do you do with it? You throw it out, you know, so I can spend $11 on 500 labels and run them through the printer or I can spend, you know, two or $300 on, on the same number of custom printed labels. And then I got to raise the cost of the the paint by a bottle a dollar each per bottle, just to offset the cost of the fancy label.
0: You see people who don't understand the business aspect are going to be like, well, yeah, that'll get you more revenue.
1: No, it doesn't. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and it's funny because I, as I said, I, I, I have two computer workstations that I have on, on this great big, massive workbench area that i have where i build and um, i have a laser printer on one side and a color printer on the other and it's funny because guys have said to me i you know i just got my paint order and and is there a difference between the label that was printed in color and the label that's printed in black and white and i said yeah it just depends on what printer I, i i printed it on because that's that's how they're done and and guys have a hard time grasping that. They want the fancy label to look pretty on the bottle, but you're just going to throw it away when you're done with it. So,
0: keep I mean, it, simple. it makes sense.
1: Try to keep it simple. As long as you can read what the hell, you know, name is on the is on the bottle and read the SKU number.
0: I mean, not only that, but if you think about it, I mean for me at least, if I get like a bottle of Tamiya paint versus something like yours, it makes me feel good cuz I'm buying from a smaller company someone who actually and don't get me wrong to me obviously mass produces it you know it takes time to do this shit but you yourself are doing all this yeah. and so it's like helping helping the little guy versus buying corporate and not only right. that your paint i mean by god i mean just the smell alone is is such a big a big eye catcher in my opinion yeah
1: you, you know the in In the grand scheme of things and and i've i've said it uh, I, it's kind of been an ethos that i've had from from the very beginning if tamiya ever decided that they were going to um you know start producing historically accurate colors mm-hmm. you know if tamiya announced that they were gonna do nineteen forty four u s navy five h haze gray um i'd i'd hang it up Cause I, I can't compete against the, the, the 800 pound gorillas. Um, and just by virtue of the fact that they're automated, they have employees, they have a support staff, they have, they have equipment, they, they, they have margins that are, you know, through the roof. I mean, I sell a bottle of paint for, for five bucks and I can, I can promise you that I'm not paying, um, I'm not making anywhere near as much of a, profit per unit that Tamiya is making. And that's only because they're buying things, you know, they buy a million bottles at a time. You know, I buy them a thousand at a time. The unit cost when you buy them a million at a time is, you know, a whole lot less, you know, so, so they have that buying power of, and, and that comes with, you know, obviously having the volume and they've got name recognition and they've been doing this for decades and, you know, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. They're one of the best paints that that's on the market. Um, and it's hard to compete against that. So, so how do you do it? You, you, you do the stuff that they're not doing. You know, you, you don't want to say you're, you're chasing after their scraps, but you know, inevitably um, you're, you're, you're doing the stuff that they don't feel is profitable enough for them as a company to do um, more right. than profitable enough for me as an individual to do it. Cause I don't need to pay, you know, employees and, I just need to make enough money to keep the lights on and the doors open and, you know, and food on the table. So that's kind of my approach to the whole thing. Um, it's uh, it's a learning curve. You know, I'm not, I've, I've, I've screwed up a whole lot more than I've gotten right. Um, but I keep trying, you know, and, and that's, I guess that's about all I can, I can expect. Well, on that
2: note, you know, speaking about, you know, the different manufacturers, I thought we should ask, What is your favorite
1: model brand to build and why? Oh, um, well, you know, it's going to be a multi-tiered answer because I build everything. Um, I build ships, I build aircraft, I build armor, I build everything. Um, with equal enthusiasm across the board, I think, um, when it comes to aircraft, there is no question in my mind that Tamaya is probably the premier aircraft manufacturer, especially in the scales that I build. in. I'm, I'm a 30-second scale guy. I, I can't do this little stuff anymore. So I like these great big monstrous table-occupying models in 30-second scale. Uh, and, and the stuff that Tamiya has been putting out for probably the last 15, 20 years um, in 30 second scale has just been stupendous. It's been amazing stuff and, uh, they don't fight you, you know, um, armor. I'm kind of torn. Um, I, I still, uh, I still kind of lean towards the old dragon stuff. Um, I like TACOM. I like Ming. I like Ryfield, um, mini art, uh, but I'm trying to kind of work myself out of that over engineered mindset, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Um, you know, there are there are so many companies that are producing spectacular kits that are just way too complex um in, yes. in terms of over engineering. You know, slide molding allows you to create a box, you know, with with all all six sides, except one, and you put the lid on it, and that makes a box. Why would I want to assemble you know six different sides to to make that same part um, suspension arms and and you know things like that where, where each suspension arm on a tank has you know ten different parts before you can complete one one assembly. Uh, no I, nobody's going to see it you know what's the logic of doing that other than maybe it's the mindset and and I don't know it could be maybe it's maybe it's the mindset of the manufacturers that these are supposed to be a challenge um that they're supposed to be like a jigsaw puzzle to uh, to get to that end result I I just want to build it and paint it you know and and get to the fun part um, I weathering. enjoy the building part weathering, <laughs> and, and everybody's got their own thing. You know, some guys like to build and some guys like to just do the painting and the weathering and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, I guess it depends on what I'm actually doing. Um, but getting back to, you know, your original question, um, ships, I'm all over the place. Uh, I'm really enjoying, um, some of the Aoshima, um, ships that have come out, um, some of the Tamiya offerings recently have, have been really good the uh, their uh, their cruisers have been have been really nice Hasegawa has been putting out some really amazing 350 ship kits and then uh, of course there's Trumpeter with all their big stuff I've been kind of dabbling in some of their 200 scale stuff it's pretty amazing um so I'm all over you know I I I'm I'm a very I guess Eclectic would be a, a, a good term, but I guess weird is probably more appropriate because I, I really <laughs> don't have any, um, I'm really not married to any one brand or manufacturer. Um, it, it's more about, you know, can I build it in a reasonable amount of time? Is it going to drive me insane? Um, it, and is it going to look the way I expect it to look when I'm done? And and a lot of kits have gotten tossed in the in the bin for, for not meeting that, you know, those requirements, you know, even partway through the process.
0: You see, that was a trick question, and you answered correctly. So, shall we uh, have the next question? Is that on the screen uh, Let's now? do
1: it.
3: Yep. <clears throat> so, Jeff, uh, mm. as well as doing all your uh, 3D printing, painting, and all that, you are also an author. Yeah. So, what was it like writing your own books and the aftermath once published?
1: Hmm... Um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, a long, long time ago, back in the, uh, in the mid nineties, I was doing some research at the national archives in Washington, DC, and I stumbled across some information that had previously been undiscovered, um, by, by researchers. And I, and I thought, you know, this would make a foundation for a, for a great book. So I I pitched this idea to some friends of mine in a in the Ship Model Society of Northern New Jersey, where I was living at the time, and um, and one of them said, "Oh, you need to talk to this guy over in Long Island. He's the resident expert. You know, he'll he'll he's also an author. He'll he'll get you going in, in the right direction." So I approached this guy, and you know, he was a, he was the epitome of just this stodgy, obnoxious English prick. And, uh, he said, eh, it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. Let me see what you've got there. It's all rubbish. So me being stupid and naive said, well, here's what I found. And then fucking a year later, he turned it into a book. Um, <coughs> asshole. <laughs> asshole. Um, so he did throw me a bone, um, and, and, and said, you know, I've been meaning to do a book on, on this subject, So here's all of my research. So he handed me this box of stuff, and I turned that into my first book in 1997, which was uh, the Warship Perspectives: Fletcher, Gearing, and Sumner Class Destroyers of World War II. It was a um, it was supposed to be kind of like a a super version of like the squadron signal books, Um, not really a, a design history in the sense that I, I got into pages and pages of, of written text, but I wanted it to be photo-driven, something that the modeler could use as a reference. And uh, so so that book came out in, uh, in 97, late 97. Um, didn't do much, wrote a bunch of articles, did a bunch of internet stuff, uh, a lot of white papers, articles printed in magazines and whatnot. And then um in two thousand and five I came to work uh with Fine Scale Modeler out here in, in, in Wisconsin and um worked for them for two and a half years and, and that's where I really got my my editorial chops. They they taught me how to be a writer and an editor. And um then I was approached by Crowwood Press Now going back three years ago, four years ago now, just at the start of COVID. And um, they approached me and said, would you be interested in writing a book? And I said, well, it depends on how much you pay me. So we agreed to all of the numbers and whatnot, and and I gave them an an outline for the book. And I wanted it, again, to be a photo-driven book that was geared towards... The returning modeler, I, you know, there are so many books that are out there now that are written by experts and, and I put that term in air quotes, but there are so many books out there that are written by experts that are catering to the top 10% of the scale modeling community. The guys who don't need the information um, and and I, they wanted me to kind of target the the introductory modeler, people coming back to the hobby. Um, so I, I, I did this photo driven book on, on, um, modeling aircraft of the RAF and I got to pick my own subject matter and, you know, the the kits and whatnot, and did all the photography for the book and, um, shipped it off to them and then COVID hit and nothing happened with the manuscript forever and ever and ever. And then finally, one day I get an email going, Oh, by the way, your book's available on Amazon. And, um, And that's it. I haven't heard and hair from him since. (laughs) So I don't know how well the book is actually selling because I haven't gotten paid for it. Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I did get the advance on royalties. You know, they they do pay you up front.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I was about to say, bro, no, (laughs) we got to go find him.
1: Yeah, they they do pay you up front. You you agree to you know a, a certain amount. You get a certain percentage when you sign the contract, and then you get a certain percentage when you deliver the manuscript, and then you get the the balance of it when the book actually goes to press. And then, depending on the success of the book, you get paid monthly, quarterly, bimonthly. monthly. Um, after that, depending on the success of the book, well, I haven't gotten paid. So I guess the book's not that successful, but (laughs) I I have people bringing it up to me at shows asking me to sign it and crap. So I I don't, I don't think I'm doing that bad. So I guess I need to look into that. But um, it, for me, it's a legacy thing. You know um, we're, we are on this earth for a very limited time and the circles that you run in, you know may or may not remember you after you're gone you know we're always going to remember guys like shep Payne and and george lee and 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 you know long after he's gone the adam wilders and the Meg Jimenez of the world their work is going to you know continue to kind of be the foundation of of what we do from a hobby perspective and you wanna you kind of want to contribute to that you know, you kind of want to be a part of that. So that was one of the reasons that I, I kind of did it was that, you know, long after I'm dead and gone, somebody's going to stumble on a, cro- a copy of my book and actually get something out of it. It's a good reason to do it. Yeah. That's a noble goal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought I was going to get rich doing it, but that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, time's <laughs> so, still going. You, you know, you know. got to, you, you got to pick your battles where you can, you know? So I went from, yeah, I want to be a writer and, and be famous and, and, be rich to uh yeah i just want people to remember me when i'm dead
0: well i know uh i know the last <laughs> question will tie into this and you and you started mentioning it jeff but how was it being an editor for fine skill modeler and uh what did you like most about it during your time um,
1: there what did i like most about it um i'll be perfectly honest with you uh i like the celebrity status Wow. There you go. You know, nice. My man's out here
0: pimping,
1: getting yep. all the models. Yep. Fucking... Uh, uh, well, and, and, and there is the thing, and, and, and that is something that I, I think we may have touched on earlier. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes. And, and people think, oh, wow, you work for Fine Finescale. You, you must just sit around all day and build models and get paid for it. Nothing is further from the truth. Um, <laughs> it is like any other nine to five job that you have your job is to build a magazine um and the editorial part the 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 design and the layout of the magazine and and making sure that the content is is up to standards and everything else That kind of really sucks the life out of the hobby side of it Mm. Um, because you're dealing with everybody else's nightmares um nobody ever writes um a story about a, a build and says that it was delightful from point a to point b and you know he's gonna you know go on and be altruistic and donate all of his kits to charity and whatnot no every story that you read well i had a problem with this or i had a problem with that i had to fix this this was wrong that was wrong the landing gear is too tall you know the, the 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 bolt heads on the on the armor deck are five five eights and they're supposed to be nine sixteenths all of these stupid little things. And people think that, you know, working for fine scale was just, was this great, awesome thing. And yeah, it was cool. It's cool to say that, you know, you worked for the premier model magazine uh, at, at one point in time. The truth of the matter is I showed up for work. I got my cup of coffee. I went to my desk. I took, you know, really, really bad Polaroid photos and manuscripts that were written in crayon and tried to turn it into something that you know, could be put in the magazine. Um, and, and that's not far from the truth. I actually had a handwritten manuscript that was half written in, in colored pencil sent to me. And I had to turn that into, you know, the text that appeared in the magazine. So everybody gets these ideas that, you know, it's this great spectacular thing and yeah, you're surrounded by the models and, you know, you're writing reviews and, and product reviews and things like that. And you're taking pictures of, of other people's models. The Truth of the matter is it gets real old real quick and it just becomes another job.
0: I bet that's uh that's kind of a, a daunting and really unattractive moment when that realization hits.
1: You know, um, <laughs> I can liken it to being a gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> You get Fair to do enough. what all day long. You don't want to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> then you see the good, the bad, the ugly of all of it, and that's
1: you know, it's probably not that far from the truth. But it was what I could come up with at the time. But yeah, it, it's um, it was a great time. Um, you know, it it um, it was really cool traveling to the shows and 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 kind of getting that VIP treatment because you're taking pictures of models you know, for the magazine and you're covering shows and you're traveling and you're, you're going to the nationals and somebody else is paying the bill to go. Um, you know, that's always, that's always kind of fun. You get the inside track, you get, you get calls from manufacturers saying, you know, can we time this release with the magazine coming out? And Oh, by the way, here's a review kit for you to build, or here's a pre-production shot. I got to see a lot of that stuff, which was really cool. Um, but in the end, yeah, it just, it's just another job like, like everything else are It's like no different than putting a newspaper together or, you know, putting a gynecological journal together. It's all, <laughs> the, it's all the same really at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, you want to go home. Right. You know, um, I think. I don't know. I mean, you guys are all young guys. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point where you loved a job so much that you were willing to stay past, you know, closing time. Um, Oh, trust me. I work at a hobby
2: store. I know what that's like.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there are times when you don't feel like you're working, you know, Um, like me with the tracks, you know, I, there are times when I'm mixing paint and I'm printing tracks and I get the music blasting and, you know, it's two in the afternoon and everything's going great. And the next thing I know it's two in the morning because you know, holy hell, I work 12 straight hours, you know, without stopping and time flies and you're having fun and you, you don't actually want the day to end. Um, that really wasn't the case with, with fine scale. It was a real job um, and, and a lot of high stress deadlines because everybody thinks we make one magazine and it goes to print. Then we start on the next one. And, and that's not the case at all. You've got three, sometimes four magazines going at one time. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of put that into a real quick. So let's say we're going to do. Well, well, just for argument's sake, we do January, February, March and April. So in, in January, we're already working on April. So we're writing stuff for the April magazine in February. March is getting printed. In March, April's getting printed. So all of that editing, all that layout, all that cycling, you have a bunch of different things because you don't just edit it once. You edit it sometimes three, four times. And then once you sign off on the final edit, then layout actually sends you the proofs and you get to see the magazine before it goes to the printer, which is kind of cool too. Um, and that was always kind of funny because I'd go to the club meetings and guys would say, "Oh man, the latest ep- you know latest issue of Fine Skill just came out." And I'm like, "Yeah, I saw that four months ago. Been <laughs> 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 there, done that. You really want to impress me? Show me what's coming out next year." But you know, so so there was always that high pressure deadlines and and everything is is it's like it's just like the newspaper business, you know. If if that magazine doesn't go to the printer on a specified date. Um, it throws the whole world into turmoil and people get mad and people get fired and everybody's, you know, on double super secret probation. And, you know, it, it, it really is a big deal um, because there's so much riding on the scheduling and the print schedules and things like that. These, these machines, these printing presses, they aren't sitting around waiting for us, you know, to send the magazine to them because they're doing jobs for thousands of other customers as well. So everything it's like it's like running a railroad you know everything's got to be on time and everything's got to be in the right place and no strikes no strikes <laughs> no we're not allowed to strike they were a non-union shop so ah, yeah, shit. that would just they would just you just lose your job <laughs> 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 well just find another schmuck to take your place because there's a lot of them out there who would come to work for free uh
0: what's the uh the next one oh yes yeah
1: this one please tell us
0: about this beauty okay
1: i um those who know me and have known me for a long time know that i never i never do anything kind of like out of the box basic you know everything i do has got to be some sort of roman spectacle and i don't know if it's because i'm just narcissistic and you know a glutton for punishment or 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 maybe it's part of that going back to that legacy thing that, you know, long after I'm gone, I want people to look at that and go, holy shit, who did that? Um, so this was a one-sixth scale scratch-built SDKFZ 250-1. Um, I had done an article for fine scale years earlier on a one-sixth scale Panzer 4L70. And it was a metal kit that came out. Um, What was it? Field of Armor. Yeah, Field of Armor. And um, got the kit, realized that the kit was pretty much, uh, at best, a a starting point. There was going to be so much work that was going to have to go into making it, you know, a believable model. But I really had a a good time doing all the fabrication and, and, and whatnot eventually sold the model for a huge sum of money to a collector up in winnipeg and i had been sitting around for a while wondering what my next outrageous outlandish look at me project was going to be and um, i saw this and i said you know this this could be kind of cool it's not spectacularly huge like a tank um and it's all got a lot of straight lines and there's really nothing to it that couldn't be done so i started i started building this thing in probably about july and i had it done by january the next year so you yeah, know five six months to get it's it done sort of floki <laughs> yeah, oh it,
2: my god if he sees this he's gonna freak
1: it was um it was one of those things where i just it, it kind of takes over, you know, I I don't know if it's like OCD mixed with ADD or, or ADHD or, or whatever. I, I think it's probably all of the above all of the above. But I, once I got into it, I was like, what can I build? What can I build? What can I scratch build? What's next? Um, and, and that's where it went. It, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And, um, and then when I finished it, I was actually like, I actually like went into this depression because it was done. And I was like, well, shit, I, I what am I going to do now? You know? So yeah, it's, um, it's a spectacular model. If I do my, if I do say so myself it it attracts a lot of attention everywhere. Oh, it I, goes. So. I mean, it's not perfect, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, there are things that are wrong with it. Um there are a lot of things that I simply didn't have in terms of reference material or research material. Um so I kinda had to go based on, you know, what I had in terms of kits or uh working off a 35th scale kit or photos or or stuff like that. And um I chose one sixth scale just because it's the G.I. Joe scale and that allowed me to um get all of the extra accessories, the grenades and, you know, the helmets and the, and, and stuff like that, that, that kind of fits out the, the interior of the vehicle. Um, and the fact that Dragon did that, um, flak, the 20 millimeter flak gun in, in one six scale, uh, without the, without the limber. So that was kind of my starting point.
0: Well, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say it's, uh, it's a very impressive model. When he first sent it, I thought to myself, "Oh, that's a that's a cool toy." Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, "No, I scratch built that." Like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, I will confess that it it started out as a um, apparently these were made in Japan or China um, a number of years ago, and they were highly sought after by the the, the one six scale collector community, I'll call them the battle Barbie guys. And, uh, I had thought about taking one of them cause it was a toy. It r- literally was a toy. I thought about taking one of them and kind of doing it all up and, you know, adding my own stuff to it to turn it into a model of, you know, of merit. And I managed to get my hands on one and I looked at it. And I looked at it and I said, there, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. There is just no way that I'm going to turn this into, it, it, it was, it's more work than, than it is anything. So the only parts that I actually kept from the original GI Joe toy um, are the 20 millimeter ammo boxes, um, the front fender, and I think the steering wheel. Everything else is scratch built. Um, The wheels, the front wheels that came on the... I used them on the limber for the gun. Um, And I I did new resin, uh, cast resin wheels and cast resin road wheels and cast my own track links because the track links for this were horrible. Um, So, yeah, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And I don't know, there's probably about... I'd say probably about 1200 hours in the half track. Holy fuck. And probably another 250 or 300 hours in the, in the trailer and the, and the AA gun. Um, But again, it's one of those things where if you love what you're doing, you know, it doesn't feel like work. So. Right. And it's sitting over there. I mean, I, I, I'm, sitting here at the at the monitor and i look over there and it's, there it is sitting on the shelf you know gathering dust
0: well uh i mean if you charge labor ten dollars an hour that's roughly fifteen hundred hours that's a <laughs> lot of money you could sell that for and you'll never get anything near that oh of course know? not you know no. but the idea of it i mean yeah. shit.
1: but that's not the reason we do it i mean oh you know and not. and there are now there's now companies that are Producing the two fifty and even the uh the two fifty one in one sixteenth scale or one sixth scale rather, and they've got all the bells and whistles. You know, they they've taken it from that that nineteen seventies toy and turned it into something that is just as good as the one that I did. Um my only saving grace is that I I did it long before they did. So Fair enough. Fair
0: enough. Yeah. All right, Dennis. What's next? Ah, uh, what is your favorite era of military machinery to build, and why? Uh well,
1: have to be World War II. Um, Hell yeah. I I don't. World War One is 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 interesting to me, but it's not. It's not a mainstay. Um, both of my grandfathers and my great uncle all fought in world war two. My, my grandfather died in 1945. Um, and it was, I, I just grew up in that. And I guess it's different based on, on your generation. Um, you know, I, I grew up with world war two guys, you know, those were the, those were the dads and the grandfathers of, of our neighborhood. Um, when I was growing up and, you know, my dad was a, was a, career guy and, and he did three tours in Vietnam and I could never really bring myself to do, um, Vietnam era stuff because the few times that I did when my dad was alive, he, he it, I could tell it kind of had an impact on him. Right. You know, he, he'd he look at it and, and, you know, he, he was a, a thousand miles away, you know, you didn't know what was going through his mind. Um, and he never, you know, like, like most of those guys, he never, he never talked about it. He never told me what, you know, but yeah, he was a Huey driver. So he was a helicopter pilot. So I know damn well that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't flying, you know, supply runs in some safe area. You know, he was, he was kind of our, our town war hero, so to speak. Uh, But he never talked about it, you know? he, uh, he talked about flying the USO girls around and getting assigned to that <laughs> detail. Um, you know, he told I me, that was a fun one. He, 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 he told me stories about flying, you know, cases of booze for, for colonels and generals and stuff like that. But I never got the, the true details. And, and my dad passed away. Um, uh, well, it'll, it was uh, a year ago, just a few days ago. um, so I never got that, that opportunity. And then modern stuff, I, I have no desire to build modern stuff. I've, I've seen enough of it in real life that I really, I'm not at that point yet where I'm nostalgic about it. Um, so, you know, I build a Bradley, build an Abrams. I don't give two shits about them. Um, you know,
0: that's, that's wrote, understandable.
1: Rode in them long enough and, you know, almost got run over by one. So no, I'm not fond of them. Um, there may come a point in my life where that changes, you know, but for right now, eh, it's just, it's not that big of a deal for me. So I tend to focus on world war two just because there's, there's so much out there. Um, I have noticed that lately I've been kind of delving into a lot of the cold war stuff. Um, Hell yeah. You know, the, you know, this project that, that I've been working on in conjunction with you guys um, has kind of sparked that a little bit, you know, so I'm, I'm bringing out the TACOM and the mini art and the Tamiya kits and, you know, I'm, I'm doing my prototypes off those to make sure they fit those kits and whatnot. And it's kind of like, you know, that's, that's really kind of cool. I mean, yeah, it's green, but you know, it's kind of cool. What can I do to it? You know, where can I take it? What can I, what can I do to make it unique? So that's kind of the, the mindset that I have with a lot of this stuff, but I just build whatever motivates me at the moment, you know? Um, Fair enough. The beauty of having a shop the size of mine um, is that there's, there's, there's no lack of choices. You know, when I finish, if I finish an, an armor piece and decide that I want to build a ship, you know, I have, I don't know. You, you guys are familiar with like the industrial warehouse shelves. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, I have seven of those full of kits.
0: <laughs> oh my, my god.
1: <laughs> you
0: have your own hobby store. No, seven. Just open your own oh, hobby shit. store. Yeah. Okay. Well, I,
1: I probably could. Yeah, and and they're all set up according to you know. There's armor over there, and there's aircraft over there, and there's ships over there, and then there's some sci-fi stuff, and 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 I I build I build thirty fifth scale armor, I build thirty second scale aircraft, and I build three fiftieth and two hundred scale ships. So everything is big. You know, I don't, I don't, I, as much as I love to do little tiny stuff, 700 scale ships or 48 scale armor, 72nd scale armor, I just can't see that shit anymore. So I, I build the big stuff. So yeah, it, it, it's, I just build whatever suits my mood at the time. And a lot of times I go from, you know, I jump all over the place One 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 project will be a ship and then. I'll get tired of ships and the next I'll go on an armor binge and I'll build three or four armor pieces and then I'll get sick of armor and build a couple aircraft. And then, you know, then I get really stupid and, you know, I'll, I'll pull a formula one car or a Gundam or something like that. Sci-fi piece out of the, out of the stash and build that just as a change right on.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's see. Ah, could you give us a brief, uh, Outlook, without giving away too many details of what's the future of scale colors, you think?
1: Um, do you do you want the reality, or do you want like the uh, the pie in the sky golden opportunity uh, sales pitch? <laughs> Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> a, a bit of both. Together. Yeah, uh, honestly. Um, well, uh, the, the the reality of it is, I'm I'm going to be um, unless there's some dramatic spike in in sales and and productivity and efficiency i'm probably going to keep dare i say struggling um to to keep pace with where things are right now um i'm the first person to admit that i could probably use some help with my my time management and and finding things that will improve my efficiency um my my pie in the sky dream I'll be perfectly honest with you is is and I said it earlier, I, I don't want to be the next Vallejo. I don't want to be the next MIG or, or testers or anything like that. I I want to be able to just um, do the development, do the R&D. Um, I love the engineering part of, you know, designing the tracks and prototyping and, and things like that. But I hate running the printers. Um, I love doing the color research and, and the mixing data for the paints. I hate bottling. Um, so my goal, my, my idealistic goal is to eventually have people who can do that for me, Okay. Um, you know, hire people to come in and actually run the printers, um, you know, bottle the paint and put the labels on it and pick the orders and ship the orders out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for you know, a 50,000 square foot production facility. You know, it's, that's, that's, I don't think that'll ever happen. The the market is just not big enough. Um, but I, I want to get to that point where I can focus on the things that make me money. Um, and the things that make me money is the the development and, and the R&D part and the production uh, of, of new products. And then you know, that's the fun part for me. That's, that's where I kind of get my kicks. I I love sitting down at the computer and designing something and then, you know, putting it on the kit and, and it fits, you know, it's like Christmas day. It's like opening up a Christmas present. It's like, ha, it worked great. And then, then I look at it and go, okay, oh shit. Now it's done. Now I got to print 400 of them and (laughs) put them in boxes and it's like, Oh, this sucks. You know? And, and that has been the, re- that has been the process like over and over and over again, I'll release something new and I'm all excited about it. And then it starts to sell and I'm like, Oh shit, now I got to produce these things. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the downside. That's, that's the downside, you know? And, but that's the part of running a business in the hobby. Um, You know, when, when people, people think that, you know you have this you're doing it because you you love the hobby or or you know whatever the case is and and I, and I do um but it's for my own different it's for my own reasons you know and i have to differentiate between how much of this is hobby and how much of this is is actually business and um and i i think my customer base is kind of in tune with that i think they get it um you know they they know that business is business and, and my friends too, you know, I, I've got modeling friends who will come over and they'll be like, Hey, I need a bottle of, 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 you know, flat black paint and I'll go over to the bin. Cause I have this great big, well, um, if you've ever been like in an auto parts store, you know that they have those bins with all the nuts and bolts in them, you know, you mm-hmm. can buy the, the, yeah, uh, that's what I have for my paint bottles. So oh I'll go over and I'll just, you know, there's flat black and I'll just, you know, throw a bottle of paint at them. Oh, no, I got to pay you for this. No, you don't. You know, yes, I do. Why? Because it's a business. Well, yeah, you're my friend. But yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to put, you know, I'm not going to loan you money to buy groceries either. So take the money <laughs> for the paint. So so there is that, you know, and it works both ways. Um, you want to be able to do all of these great things and contribute to the hobby and, and, and have people be excited about your stuff. But you also realize that There's money that goes into that, you know, on the front end, I have to buy printers. I have to buy resin. I have to buy bottles and base material and, and all of this stuff. And in the grand scheme of things, yeah, you're paying five bucks for a bottle of paint, but the reality is I'm not, I'm not making five bucks on it. You know, Uh, right? I'm paying the bills, but I haven't drawn a real paycheck in five years because everything gets put back into the business or it gets put into the budget to keep the lights on and the internet on and the cell phones paid and college tuition and all of those other things. That's kind of the hard part is that you wake up in the morning and you go, why am I doing this? You know, there's supposed to be a million dollars in the account by now. And a you know, private jet and company car and all this other shit. And here I am having peanut butter and jelly for lunch. Um, but, you know... A PB&J smack. No there, disrespect know. on my sandwich. But the truth of the matter is I'm I'm not putting up with anybody else's bullshit. Um, you know, I'm not giving my heart and soul to a company that, you know, doesn't necessarily care about me. Um, you know, because they always say your your job listing, your job posting will, you know, hit the papers before your obituary does. So... Yeah. You know, and and I was at that point where I'll be perfectly honest with you. I've, just, I've become really cynical, especially after the car accident, when I kind of realized that, you know, I'm not indestructible and I'm not 20 something years old anymore. And life is too short. Time is time is too short to fart around and, and screw around um, with stuff that doesn't matter. And I've become very cynical about it. And I, you know, Why? Why should I, you know, give up the, the best part of my life or the best, you know, portion of my life to somebody else when I could be, you know, doing it on my own terms? And that was the whole reason I did it. More power a to damn you. damn good reason. That. Yeah. Yeah, I think we lose sight of that, you know. Um, it's funny, hobbyists hobbyists take the serious shit and they throw it out the window and then they lose their minds over the petty crap. Rivet counters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I've seen guys like literally get into fist fights in the parking lot over model kit. I, I think I was wondering, I was telling one of you guys. Um, yeah. You told me the other night about it. <laughs> in, in uh, I was in Ottawa, Ontario for a model show and, and two guys literally, beat the ever-loving piss out of each other over a monogram B-17 kit. And... Monogram at that. And the OPP showed up and arrested both of them and they left the kit on the hood of the car. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> both of these guys are hauled away in handcuffs for beating the ever-loving daylights out of each other and, and we're all standing there watching it and somebody's like well what should we do with the model kit uh, i don't know <laughs> take it home <laughs> somebody else got it but you know <laughs> guys are willing to lose their minds over crap like that i've seen friendships ruined in this hobby because you know people hating on you because you use a specific brand of paint you know no oh, heavens You know, high school all over again. Yeah, Yeah, it's so petty, you know, and and, and we should be I don't want to say it's all fuzzy bunny slippers, but holy shit, we do this for our entertainment. It's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. And, you know, there's a social aspect to it now that the, you know, the the Internet and social media is out there. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of delayed the inevitable death of the hobby, I think, because now we've got a worldwide audience. I mean, just look at you guys. You know, you guys are, are all over the, all over the planet coming together to, to do a podcast about the hobby, you know, but I don't know. I guess there's, there's just uh, a lot of lessons that could be learned that we're just not smart enough to pick up on.
0: That's, that's fair. That's a fair point of view, honestly.
1: Eh, That's an old man's point of view. Guys who are just, I've become that grumpy, get off my lawn guy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh you're at that stage of life
1: oh yeah oh hell yeah yeah and if you don't get off my lawn i'm gonna shoot you <laughs> with the at4 yeah with the at4 yeah yeah and it won't be the bunker buster version because <laughs> i like to keep stuff standing so yeah you know and, and that's that's why I, I kind of applaud what you guys are doing because you're you know you guys are all young enough to be my kids and um nobody laughed at that. God damn. And oh, we're, um, we're
0: we're waiting <laughs> for the for the tears to start flowing. <laughs> but I mean it's
1: it's good to see that. It's good to see that from younger generations. You know? Um and, and, and it's good to see that there's some common sense, you know, because I'll be honest with you, shit, I didn't have any common sense when I was your age. Um certainly didn't give, you know, half a thought to caring about the hobby or, or being involved in it beyond, you know, what I wanted to get out of it as a pastime. Um, So it's, it's good to kind of see that, you know, and, and, you know, keep, keep the hobby alive because shit, I'm going to be dead within 20 or 30 years anyway. So somebody has got to do it.
0: Enter the Micro Machines podcast. There you go. (laughs) Uh,
1: Sponsored by, Yes, a so, Balvenie right. single malt scotch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Speaking of the Micro Machines podcast and sponsorship sponsorships. Uh, Jeff, final question for you, my friend, is what made you want to sponsor us here at the Micro Machines Podcast?
1: Uh You guys are sad and pathetic, and I thought you needed a fatherly figure in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Don wasn't enough. Boy, I'm (laughs) I'm not enough. I'm glad you guys are laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff has unexpectedly been cut off from the podcast. We (laughs) (laughs) lost connection with him. Smile and nod, guys. Smile and nod. (laughs) No, 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 I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, Martin Drayton. Um. Mm was one of the the man, the myth, the legend, the man, the Mm. myth, the legend, um, professional snowboarder, you know, the, the guys, the guys done lots of stuff in his life. And, um, I met Martin, oh God, two, three years ago. And, um, we ended up renting a house together in Omaha for the nationals and started hanging out. And I said, you know, the type of work that you're doing is, is really, really cool. Um, how would you like me to, you know, throw paint and tracks and stuff at you, you know, if it fits your projects? Well, he thought that that was just the coolest thing because, you know, he was coming back to the hobby. And, uh, so Martin, you know, I guess he entered your, um, your group build contest for the battle of the bulge. Yes. And, uh, I provided him with all of the paint and the tracks that he did on his, um, on his, uh, wrecked Panther 4L70 and, uh, and his, his KV-1 that, he, uh, diorama that he had done earlier. And the guy's just prolific. He's just, it's amazing how he just came right out of the chute and just almost overnight became like a powerhouse in the diorama world. Absolutely. And, um, and, um so he turned me on to you guys. And he said, oh, you got to listen to these guys. Now, you, you got to remember, too, that I was coming off, you know, working on a, on a podcast of my own, which I'll go unnamed. But, um, you know, I listened to you guys. I was like, yeah, you know, these guys are funny and they got a good approach. And, yeah, you know, it, it's all about helping each other out. You know, you guys are a, a relatively young podcast. And I don't mean that by you know, based on, on the age of you guys, but I mean the number of episodes and how long you guys have been doing this, you're, you're, you're not a thousand episode, you know, podcast. And, you know, I just kind of thought it it seemed like it was a good fit. So, you know, I, I just figured I'd throw my, throw my two cents in and help you guys out if you needed it and, and give you guys stuff to talk about. And, you know, and then, in exchange, you guys, if you like my stuff, you talk about my stuff, and, you know, people look at it. Well, it's hey, we perfect. really
0: appreciate it. Yeah. Honestly, that when you messaged me on Messenger, I read your shit. I, I got so <laughs> excited. I was about to sit down to dinner. I, I was like, Beth, I'll, I'll be back in like 10. I ran downstairs and <laughs> took a screenshot and texted the guides like, yo, look at this, look at this. Yeah, got us all excited.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, but you, you know, one of the things that you guys got to remember is that you know, I'm I'm just I'm just a a type A personality with a big mouth and and a little bit of ADHD and OCD thrown in there. I'm, I'm I, I do it because I have fun doing it. You know, I'm not uh, I'm I'm not spectacular or special or anything well some people will say i'm special but for the wrong reasons um, (laughs) (laughs) he's a little special same here yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know i don't i don't look at it from from that perspective you know i i i have name recognition in the hobby and and some will say that as as much of it is is good as as much of it is bad And, and personally, I just, I don't care anymore. I've gotten to that point where I've just stopped caring what people think. And, and I just enjoy spending my time around like-minded people who have a sense of humor and who are trying to accomplish something, you know, above and beyond just winning a model contest. And that's where you guys fit in. And that's where guys like Martin fit in. And, and, you know, a lot of the relationships that I have developed with other small business manufacturers, you know, um, uh, BJ DeBecker at Panzer concepts. I mean, he's pretty much the godfather of 3d printing and Louis Vargas, the man, the man, the myth, the legend, you know, I hung out with him at at nationals in in Omaha this year. We had a blast. There's so many guys that are out there just like me who are doing this stuff. Um, and it's real easy to, you know, trash a company like Tamiya or Tacom or Ming because they don't get something right. Um and they don't care. You know? They they Oh of course. They they don't care because they're a machine, you know? Um but if somebody comes and posts online and says, you know, scale colors, I got a bottle of scale colors paint, it really sucks. It's the worst thing I've ever had. I take that personally, you know? Um because I'm 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 not out there, you know trying to to deliver horrible product because my name and my reputation are on it you know so i i think that by kind of creating that that community and supporting you know each other these these cottage industry operations and let's face it you guys fall into that category too your are your cottage industry you know you're not you know you're not youtube you're not rumble you're not the bbc you're 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 just a bunch of enthusiastic hobbyists who are, who are doing this for the, for, for fun and for the hell of it. Um, you've got to kind of foster that and promote that.
0: Well, uh, I'll tell you what I know. I think I'm speaking on behalf of the whole podcast here. We, we greatly appreciate it. I mean, I know, I know you talk not so highly of yourself because I mean, <sighs> you've been doing this for so long, but looking at it from our point of view, I mean, this is such a, a big milestone, not only for our podcast, but like just ourselves, you know, as as a friend group, too, I mean, we've all, not including Ezra and, and uh, Val, because they're not here tonight, but we've been going almost a whole year now. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like, actually, and we celebrate it's one a year in, a, in, what, a month?
0: Yeah, about Just month. about a month. Yeah. And from the first episode all of us did together, and even the one they did before I got on, to tonight, where... Each of us, where we're at in our personal lives, because we're not just podcasts. Do you hop on a new podcast? We're, we're friends. We talk throughout the week. We do hangouts, all this other stuff. We play games. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I consider these some of my best friends, and that may sound weird to some people.
1: Nope, I absolutely but, get it.
0: And yep. it's 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 just this. It's almost like Cloud9 being able to look back at almost a year ago and seeing where we've come in the podcast and our personal modeling—I guess you can call it career. I, I don't—I don't know what you'd call that, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's like a breath of
1: fresh air. Because, yeah, I'll, I'll put it, it that. It is, I, and I think, at least pre-internet days, you know, I modeling was always a solitary hobby. And, and it was something that you did in your basement or your workshop or spare bedroom, whatever. And if you were fortunate enough to live in an area where you had other modelers that you might meet at a hobby shop or, or something like that, then, then you kind of developed a, a real generic version of, of that social network based around a hobby. Uh, but I, I will. I, I mean, social media is going to be the downfall of civilization. I think, but some good, good stuff has come out of it in that it, it's been able to bring like-minded people like us together. Um, that that laugh and and enjoy each other's company because we have that common bond. Um, and then you tend to. I, I guess you, you tend to get more involved with those people as time progresses. And, and as you said, they become, they become some of your best friends and, and some of my absolute best friends are, are people that I have never shook their hands in person because they're on the other side of the planet. Um, but these are people who send me Christmas cards and birthday cards and, you know, call me up on a regular basis to tell me that, you know, oh, their their kid just went to swim lessons or, you know, something funny happened, you know, to them in their day. And and that's the beauty of what hobbies are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring us together um, and take our minds off all of the crap that we deal with on a regular basis in the real world. And you guys are doing a hell of a good job on that. You can see that in the in the uh just the flow and the the way you guys banter back and forth it's it's a very relaxed environment and we need more of that thank you so much yeah (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah.
1: so what else we got
2: we've got an intermission (laughs) Intermission. (laughs) (laughs) and now let's talk about what we've been working on this week so i'll go first My model of the USS Growler, guy that missed the submarine, finally came in from Ukraine. It was you.
0: Yeah, it was me. I figured that was you. Getting dicked down in the Atlantic. Shut the fuck up. (laughs)
2: He's being silly now. Okay.
0: It's it's a long cylinder, black tube. What can I say? Yes, yes. Um,
2: yeah, but this is the model from Micromere <laughs> I bought off of the uh, Amazon, and I also I forgot to throw a photo of it in here. But I've got a bunch of resin, uh, I guess it would be resin cast one three fifty scale figures. So basically, what I'm going to have is I'm going to do a some. So- I'm going to mount this maybe on a, a water diorama or maybe on a wooden base, and it's going to basically have every all of the crew manning the yards as it say Ooh. enters a harbor.
0: Mm, that's okay. going to be awesome. Yeah, how much did you pay for those uh, figures?
2: Figures for like twenty bucks. Well, I was saying you yeah. get like a hundred and fifty of them.
0: It, they're the ones. Uh, who are they by? I forget, but they're from Amazon, right?
2: No, they were from AliExpress.
0: They're from Ali. Oh, okay, twenty bucks on Ali. Oh well, you get a lot of them. Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, uh, finally, I have some painting in my whips. Uh, got my XF-86 finally, and so I went ahead and did the base coat for my uh, Fireball Pershing. I've been hand-painting some details during the episode. I also painted the wheels, primed five of the ten figures, painted the base color for the Matsu, picked up some Flat Flush OD Green and uh, little fucking... Scalpel blades—I forgot what it's are called. Exacto right. knife blades, and then uh, some bomb-ass dinner from the wife. So nice,
2: thank you, wife. <laughs> yes,
0: thank you, lovely podcast wife. Yes. Ah, uh, Jeff, Jeff, this is uh, this is Callum's. Oh god, <laughs>
2: this hey, huh? is Hidf.
0: Wait, is Jeff there?
1: Yeah, I'm here. Oh, yeah. oh
2: okay. he, He's just uh, blown away by how he's... ridiculous this is. <laughs> <I'm> processing
1: it. <laughs> Stunned at
2: like, me. What
3: the fuck? So, <laughs> for Jeff's sake, this uh, this is what I'm converting. It's an M113, but I've made a turret for the top of it, and it's got a trailer that's going to be carrying um, basically flamethrower fuel, like the Churchill Crocodile. Nice. Um, it's Cowardly devoid of logic, as you can see. The uh, barrel is on top of the uh, commander's cupola, although it does rotate. It's supposed to rotate around, so you sh- so you can open it. But uh, yeah, basically what I've been doing is I finally got it painted. Uh, well, I put a layer of um, hull red to act as the zinc chromate primer underneath and then put a whole lot of chipping fluid over it. And then two ton- two different tones of uh, olive drab. And then I just chipped the buggery out of it. I, I went to real, really went to town on it to try and get it really chipped. And then, just today i've been going through with a small a very 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 fine paintbrush and some metallic grey and just adding some extra chips to act as the aluminium underneath so yeah no, for is... the
2: sake of for the sake of our, our audience what does this thing do
3: um <laughs> hey, everyone well. <laughs> it, it it's a flamethrowing tank
0: basically um
3: flamethrowing anti-tank under-
0: <laughs> geneva yeah. suggestion god damn it yeah he, he, write that on the side
1: <laughs> oh my god that, yes please that's not a bad idea yeah yeah you, you <laughs> should name it the geneva convention <laughs>
2: he, he calum calum Dun made the uh M, the uh, m113 wasp good
3: yeah. job yeah oh, <laughs>
0: You're gonna need to run some fat, like gas lines from that trailer there.
3: Oh yeah, uh, what I'm going to do is find either some LED diode, like flexible LED diodes, or uh, or suggested to me, like um, oh fuck, what was it? It's like a wire that um, shines light through. Um, Fiber optic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, It's uh, a old... computer
2: science guy to know that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, sim- similar to um, fiber optic, basically. Uh, and then just- so you're going to have <laughs> internet in that bitch.
0: We'll be listening to an episode of the MMP as they're you know, committing war crimes. That's the this only way to the, listen uh, to this it, is the... to be flaming.
2: <laughs> this is the 5G that they were trying to warn you about. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, but yeah, uh. so it's just so, yeah, it's a horribly ugly thing. But at the same time, I love it. <laughs> you have to do this on at least a vignette, dude. Oh, I oh, am. yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm gonna be building a bunker to sit in front of it that's been blasted. So yeah, you, you oh god, have, I can't wait.
2: You better have like a bunch of little red pandas in the trailer too. <laughs> li- so liberal, like, you're ball, you're
1: just and, chugging the gas. Yeah, liberal use of black pigment to. Th- Oh uh, yeah! Oh yes. I
3: bought some specifically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, uh, going towards the end of our episode today, our current group build going on is the Cold War group build. Started February first, ending June first. If you'd like to see all the rules and everything pertaining to the group build, join our Discord. Link will be down in the description below. If you're on YouTube. Uh, just click that. There's also a video showing you how to get Discord and how to kind of mosey about our server a little bit if you don't know how. Uh, just That should be in the description as well. So just uh, looking forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah, because we got some, uh, some pretty good... Those there. are nice looking.
2: I, my, my neurons
1: have been activated. <laughs> okay, well. well, here's my work in progress. Whoop, <laughs> whoop! And this is all because of Garrison, so you can blame him. Or, yeah, Garrison. <laughs> Good I a, job, I a man. He <laughs> did. Time, yeah. um, I bought a whole tank for this. <laughs> I, uh, they've been on my uh, short list um, only because they cover so many different types of vehicles. Um, basically anything that is T-54, or T-55, or T-62 based probably wore these tracks at one point or another. So, these are the OMSH tracks for the uh, T54, T55, T62, Tiron 4, SU 122 54. Just a whole slew of different vehicles wore these tracks. So, uh, I actually 3D scanned uh, a link, and an, a real track link, and uh, ran it through Fusion. 360 and got it cleaned up and made it workable and these are the uh, first prototypes hell
0: fucking yeah it's
1: beautiful so these will be available uh well probably by the time you get done with editing and this goes live the tracks will be available um for retail sale for for anyone who is interested price will probably be somewhere in the 35 to 40 dollar range Um, and they're pinned through, uh, there's, there's resin pins, so you don't have to worry about cutting wire or anything like that. And, uh, yeah.
0: Jeff, you are a godsend. Yes. These are going to be so nice.
1: Well, I, I did, um, the, the, I did a set, I did one side, um, for my Tamiya T55 and it took me about 45 minutes to pin that's it one set yeah there's no cleanup there's no cutting there's no drilling you you literally press the two links together and you slide the pin in and uh, actually oh wow that's awesome yep and the and the sag on that looks so
0: nice did you glue that or is that just natural
1: nope that's natural
0: oh, oh my natural. god i need this <laughs> now
1: <laughs> oh now you have-
0: you have no idea. Oh, you do, but my little mind. I, I love sag on tracks, and I love. It's it's fun to put tracks together if they go together easily. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say this I is, is gonna make win. doing tracks an actual fun process rather than just like a hellish part of the model.
1: Yeah. The, the other I've day really... when I did. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Steve Munzel from Value Gear um, is, is a good friend of mine. We actually, you know, share tables together when, for the last three nationals. And, um, you know, he, he struck a chord with me, um, quite a while back. And he said, you know, the whole reason that he does value gear was to put the fun back in the hobby, you know, and, and it shouldn't be frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, dude, I got to, can I steal that? I, I got to steal that motto. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. And and so that has also been kind of my mantra is that, you know, free old tracks are awesome. Uh, unless you have to drill them out, you know, and then you're stabbing yourself with a number 80 drill and, you know, you're getting, you got to clean up metal flash and the, the ridiculous wire and everything else. It shouldn't be a, a struggle. It shouldn't be stressful. So when I design these tracks, I, and some of them, you know, the Sherman tracks, they're fiddly, you know, just by their design, they're fiddly. Um, but the KV tracks and the tiger tracks, the Panther tracks, these, the, the T 55 tracks, they're all designed to just literally go together. You can do a whole set in an hour, you know, once you get going and you get, you get moving on them. Um, some of them are more fiddly than others and, and just by virtue of their design, but the stuff that I'm focusing on, cause that's what I want to do. I want to, I want, I don't want everybody hates doing tracks, you know, and, and I want to kind of change that.
0: Well, we're looking forward to indulging. Tell you what, <laughs> <Indulging>. <laughs> well, what I am,
1: uh, <laughs> am going to do. Um, and I'll, and I'll, we'll make it official here. Dun, dun, dun. um, I don't know which kit you're going to be offering for the winner of the group build. Um, but I will be donating uh, a set of T-55 tracks and some Russian paint colors uh, to one of your prize winners.
0: Wow. Awesome. That is That's awesome. going to be amazing.
2: And, and all of a sudden, like the, the, the stakes for this group build just
1: went up a thousand
2: percent. They did.
0: They sure did.
1: Now, nah, it's it's all good. I, I enjoy I enjoy doing it. So ah, there you Absolutely. go. That's my work in progress. Wow, love it, gentlemen. I we think did that was a podcast. That uh, was a right,
2: podcast. One more this was?
3: Dennis. Oh. One more, story. yes. Oh, there we go. Come on, he's supporting us. We have to Come shout on, him out. Yeah. Um, so we'd just like to uh, shout out our Patreon supporter, um, Paul Gallagher. My oh, boy, Paul. Yeah. Pinju support us here. Uh, just a heads up, guys. Like, you know, I need some friends in there. You know, it's only either a dollar, $3, $5 a month. You know, don't be a tight ass. Come support us. If you you enjoy can our hear stuff,
2: the most ridiculous stuff that you know, we're not allowed to share on YouTube. Oh, yeah. That's where you get the good <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: stuff that I have to edit out. Mainly Garrison. Um, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, um, come on come on patreon thanks a lot paul you're a you're a legend mate and yeah dennis do it
2: well jeff i want to say on behalf of the podcast thank you so much for agreeing to come on and spend some time with us uh you have been listening and watching to the micro machines podcast and we will return next week we will hi everyone
3: see (laughs) See you guys